0: to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Biment, your host, welcoming you to episode 153 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This one's coming out during the weekend when Gallifrey One is going on. That is probably the biggest Doctor Who convention in the world, I'd be willing to wager. Um, Definitely the biggest one here in North America. It is going on out in Los Angeles, California, and I hope that Anybody who happens to download this episode during the weekend, uh, maybe to listen to on your flight back out of Los Angeles to wherever you call home, I hope this episode finds you well. I hope you're having a great time. Uh, I wish I was there, and uh, I hope you have a blast, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Likewise, if you're not at Gallifrey One wherever you are, I hope everything is well. I hope it's all good. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is going to be one of my classic episodes where I represent a uh, an interview from the past. But uh, just to kind of give you a quick table of contents for this episode, we'll start out like we always do with uh, the news for this uh, episode, which isn't all that much. Uh, and then we will go into a review. We will open the Pandorica on the latest Doctor Who magazine, which is issue number 587, and take a look at the newest part of Liberation of the Daleks. And then we will... Uh, kind of finalize, finish up with a classic interview. This one I'm not going back too terribly far. Only about three years ago, um, or four years ago, back to 2019, back to uh, January of 2019, I had a wonderful chat with somebody who is a guest at Gallifrey One, and for those people who are into comics, you definitely know this gentleman's name. If you're just into Doctor Who, uh, you probably aren't aware too much of Dan Slott. But Dan Slott is a longtime comic writer. He's been writing for Marvel Comics for uh, a long, long time. He has written Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, um, all the heavy hitters at Marvel. And he was supposed to have a Doctor Who comic uh, come out this past year, back in 2022, featuring the uh, Tenth Doctor and Martha. However, it got pushed back uh, till this uh, year. It's going to be coming out sometime this f- summer or early fall before the specials come out on TV. So, but uh, I had a wonderful chat with Dan back before this was all announced and because Dan is a huge Doctor Who fan. If you're at Gallifrey One and you don't know Dan all that well, just walk up to him. Uh, I think he's in the dealer's room uh, primarily uh, signing uh, comics, wherever you put in front of him. Make sure you talk to him about Doctor Who because he's been watching Doctor Who since he was a kid. Uh, he grew up over in the UK, uh, He spent some of his formative years there, and he's a Doctor Who fan from way back. So you can talk to him about anything Doctor Who and he will talk your ear off, I'm certain of it. So uh, I want you to listen, if you didn't have a chance to meet Dan, you'll be reading some of his uh, Doctor Who comics, or at least one Doctor Who comic of his uh, this year when it comes out, but... This interview, I think, gets into uh, more about Dan, more about his love of Doctor Who, his comic writing, um, and I think you'll enjoy it if you missed out on it when it first came out uh, four years ago. So, with all this inter- this uh, introduction out of the way, let's dive into the heart of this episode. Let's go- start off with covering some news. In Doctor Who comic news on this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, let's go over some new releases. Um, Doctor Who Magazine issue number 587 was released back on Thursday, February 2nd, at least as far as the UK and digital goes, unlike Pocket Mags, which is where I read mine. So uh, the comic strip that we're talking about is almost a month old, so make sure you uh, check that out. And then on this past uh, Thursday, on the 16th of February, uh, the latest special edition magazine from Doctor Who Magazine, the Doctor Who Chronicles 1988 magazine came out. Normally, I don't happen to mention the the special magazines, although I should just because it's from Doctor Who magazine and from Panini. But um, usually I don't say anything about it because it doesn't have a comic strip involved. However, this issue to me is kind of special, at least as far as me personally. 1988 was the year I graduated high school. It was also... About three years, four years since I first discovered Doctor Who, and I was big into Doctor Who back in 1988. Um, 1988, the fall of 1988, was when I first discovered Doctor Who magazine. Um, it was also the the final season of Sylvester McCoy, and I was a huge Doctor Who fan. So I'm actually looking forward to this 1988 Chronicles uh, magazine because they go they take a deep dive into just that particular year. So I'm looking forward to it. So uh, if you buy the special magazines, you definitely want to check that out. Uh, By my calculations, just to make everybody aware, uh, on Thursday, the 2nd of March, should be when Doctor Who Magazine number 588 gets released. So that will be part 5 of Liberation of the Daleks. So that is uh, something to mark on your calendar. Outside of that, um, I want to talk a little bit about Cutaway Comics. Cutaway Comics just released the final issue of their Paradise Towers, Paradise Found miniseries. Uh, they just sent it out to people who backed it on Kickstarter. Uh, I know I got my digital copy uh, this past week, and it was really good. really enjoyed it. And it looks like they're going to continue on with another Paradise Tower series, which I'm excited about. Anything that kind of expands the Doctor Who universe is definitely great in my book. Um, along those same lines, uh, if you were a Kickstarter and backed their Gods and Monsters, uh, the, the first part of their big crossover with all the properties that they have licensed from various uh, Doctor Who creators, the uh, Omega and Sutek uh, one-shot just got sent out to, to people who backed it on Kickstarter. Um, the, the paper copies are going out. Digital just got sent out. And that is another excellent issue. Um, You can't go wrong with Adrian Salmon art on the Omega, uh, or excuse me, on the SUTEC part, which was just beautiful to look at. And uh, the the folks who did the Omega uh, one-shot, no slouches themselves, don't get me wrong, but it was great one-shots on both sides of that. Um, And it makes me really anxious for the Gods and Monsters story to start. So, good job, Cutaway Comics. Uh, along those, and also, just so you know, Cutaway Comics and Gareth Cavana are at Gallifrey One, so if you are a, a comic book fan, make sure you check them out in the dealer's room. Make sure you pick up your copies of those two comics. I'm sure they'll have the rest of the Paradise Towers uh, comics there so you can get all four issues, as well as all the other stuff they've come out with so far. And... Cutaway Comics is also basically the same people that put out Vorp, Vorp Magazine. and The big announcement this week, issue number five was printed and is being sent out even as I speak to people who uh, bought their issues. I bought mine, however, those of us here in the States are going to, you know, it always takes longer for those packages to come from overseas, so I'm checking my mailbox every single day, hoping that mine was one of the first ones to get sent out. However, um if you are at gallifrey one i know from pictures that were shown on the uh, on twitter they have stacks and stacks of warp magazine issue number five so make sure you check it out make sure you buy your copy there that way you don't have to wait um if you haven't if you didn't order one online if you're a comic book fan make sure you uh, grab a, a copy for yourself make sure you flip through it make sure you buy a copy until tell Gareth that uh, Doctor Who panel-to-panel panel sent you. So make sure you don't miss out on that, and uh, we'll be doing a review of VORP VORP Magazine number 5 as soon as I get my copy. So other than that, I was hoping maybe we would get some news from Titan Comics about uh, a possible new Doctor Who comic coming in the, sometime here soon, but with Gallifrey 1 going on um, as I record this news on Saturday morning, haven't heard anything yet, but there's still a day and a half, or the better part of two days, of the Gallifrey one to go. So maybe Titan Comics will see fit to release a little something, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. So, that is it for the news. Let's jump into a review. It's time to open the Pandorica on a new Doctor Who comic strip, and today we're looking at what is the newest comic strip that has been released, which is in Doctor Who Magazine, issue number 587. This is part four of Liberation of the Daleks, the ongoing, incontinuity Doctor Who comic strip featuring the 14th Doctor. This story is by Alan Barnes, art by Lee Sullivan, colors by James O'Freddie, lettering by Roger Langridge, editing by Marcus Hearn, and of course, Daleks created by Terry Nation. He's getting a credit now in the little box. Anyway... Uh, This strip starts off where we left off last time with the Earth being destroyed, or at least it appears to have been destroyed, and the Doctor is on board the Dalek ship, and he is wondering if this is actually the case that the Earth has been destroyed or not, and he's confronting the Daleks about it. Um, The Daleks, meanwhile, are wondering why they haven't been able to exterminate the Doctor, why when they blast him, nothing happens, and the beams just kind of pass right through him. So they're planning on taking them to Scarrow to figure out what's going on, but just so that's about to happen. The the doctor s- smells something, and two humanoid type uh, characters show up in full spacesuits. One with in uh, electric net of some sort, and the other with looks like a pair of like a gun with pinchers on the end. And they're saying they're going to take the doctor. But as interesting as that. The Daleks don't sense this. Uh, these two people there, um, and the do- the doctor realizes that they're shielded, and that must be why the Daleks don't sense them. However, these two uh, beings, they are wanting to take the doctor, and uh, they've been authorized to use restraint. They net him, and then they zap away or teleport away, which the 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 Daleks don't notice. The the two space suited aliens or creatures but uh they do notice the doctor disappears so meanwhile they're uh, trying to figure out what where the doctor went to and they bring up the TARDIS out of the hold Uh, apparently they have some plans or trying to get into the TARDIS or use that meanwhile the doctor uh, is let go of the net um, because he promises to behave and discovers that the Uh, creatures inside the the spacesuits are gorillas and um, as he meets the gorillas somebody else comes into the room uh, a young lady uh, by the name of Georgette and the doctor's like don't I know you and um, she says she might seem familiar but that's where they kind of leave it Um, because then we Notice that the alien family who have been around since the very beginning of this story are talking about how the doc- they recognize the doctor and are like, he's the one who showed up at the stadium, ruined our vacation, we want our money back. And the next page is the, the cliffhanger, which I don't really want to spoil anything since this is the new issue, but it definitely leads into where is this all going um, as far as the story goes. Um, it's a big one page splash that Just by reading what's on the page, you're gonna kind of wonder what's going on. So that's where I'm gonna leave it. Uh, this this issue, this uh, strip, continues on this story rather well. Um, once again, there's not a lot that kind of happens since this is all this whole story is in the span of an hour. So it's just a, you know a few minutes of what's going on. However, it's it does move the the plot ahead, and it definitely leaves. Uh, it's getting to where they're going to reveal a bit more about the story as to what's going on. Uh, so Alan Barnes is doing a great job with this story, I think, making the story uh, stretch out over the, you know, the four, we're about a quarter of the way in. And uh, it's been, I think if you would read them all in one shot, it would be, you know, the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes of an episode. So I think it's been, as far as structure goes and the, the, the way the story's been told, I think it's been really well. Lee Sullivan's artwork, of course, never fails to impress. Um, Lee's artwork is always great. It's um, Daleks everywhere, and uh, he does a good job drawing gorillas as well. So good job, Lee. Once again, another great strip by the team of uh, Alan Barnes and Lee Sullivan. So make sure you're reading the strip, like I said, for uh, just in case you weren't aware, it is in continuity. So if you love incontinuity stories, make sure you're picking up the current uh, Doctor Who magazine. Exterminate! Today on Doctor Who Panel The Panel, I have the extreme pleasure of talking to uh, one of the hardest working men in comics and one of the, the, the gentlemen I, who has the longest tenure on Amazing Spider-Man, if I remember correctly, as far as issues go, uh, and longtime Doctor Who fan, Dan Slott. Dan, thank Hello. you for joining me. Hi, Jeremy.
1: I can't wait. Uh, yeah, um, and and not just that, but I you know recently, uh, over the past year, uh, wrapped up with Mike Allred our Silver Surfer run, which was a shameless love letter to Doctor.
0: <laughs> I, I think that kind of goes without saying, especially if you, you've read it. And uh, for those people that are listening who may not have read your Silver Surfer run, I'm a big Silver Surfer fan from way back. So I, I definitely read it, and you can easily tell that if it's almost like if the, the silver surfer was the doctor and he was traveling around the whole universe, this is the kind
1: of Doctor Who story that you would tell. It pretty much. Um, whenever I I grew up uh, as a teenager in England, uh, all my uh, teen years. OK. Uh, and I was addicted to Doctor Who uh, and would read all the Doctor Who monthly, uh, Doctor Who weekly at okay. one point. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, I was so into all of this. Uh, that, yeah, you can, the, the my, every time I'm over in England, the guys from Titan and the guys from Panini uh, take me out for lunch and they, they ask me, would you like to write some Doctor Who comics? <laughs> and it's the cruelest thing they do because I have to say I'm Marvel exclusive. I can't write other comics for other people. I just, it hurts, it rips part of my soul out. I With every time my contract was up for renegotiating, I'd try to carve a a section of it to go, can I I just do one or two for Titan or Panini? Uh Like, no, no, you can't. So eventually, uh, yeah, I did Silver Surfer, and it was clearly me getting all of that out of my system. (laughs) Well,
0: Well, I hope that doesn't mean that all entirely out of your system. I would like to think that at some point in time, that, you know, down the road, 14th Doctor, 15th Doctor, that we would see Dan Slatt's name on a Doctor Who comic somewhere.
1: That would be a dream come true. <laughs> uh, that, would, that would just, but for, for now, I'm, I'm sated. I, you know, I did my story of my alien traveling with a companion. Uh-huh. Through time and space. (laughs) Had a blast. Got to work with Mike Allred. Exactly. Got to work with Mike Allred. That's just a a treat in and of itself. Have have you seen? He did like a commission through all the classic doctors. No. In in the the Mike Allred style. It's gorgeous. Um, But yeah, every. It was just. (laughs) Uh, we would get this complaint from Marvel readers. Like, this is too much like Dr. Who. Like, no, duh. (laughs) Every interview, I would come out and just confess it. Uh huh. You know, um, there, there was a point where I was doing, um, uh, this one in Philly and, uh, I had was lucky enough to meet Peter David, a Peter David, lucky enough to meet David Tennant. Oh my God. Uh, he came up to visit Marvel, and he specifically surprised me. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, everyone knew what a – I was begging Marvel. I was like, he's he's in town. He's filming <laughs> Jessica Jones. He's right over there in Brooklyn. Can I go to the set? Uh-huh. And they're like, no, Dan, you can't. And I'm like, but I'm Marvel. They're Marvel. We're Marvel. Like, no, no, they're working. You're not going down to the Jessica Jones set. I was like, oh, no, I'll tell you what we'll do come up to Marvel. You can write a little welcome to Marvel sketch for David Tennant, we will beam it to his trailer. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: (laughs) record this welcome to the Marvel family sketch. Uh I went up there, wore my best shirt, buttoned down. Had my little props. Had a, wrote a whole little skit. Was going to perform it,
0: uh-huh.
1: and I was in our green screen room. And they were they were not filming me. They were lying. <laughs> we did multiple takes, and then finally on like the fourth or fifth take, the door burst open is David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hello, I understand you're, you know, outside of Stan Lee, you're the greatest living Spider Man writer. I was like, oh my God. I was totally losing it. I I, I was terrible. I sounded like I was going through some kind of conniption. I was, uh, you know, I'd be trying my best to be normal in front of David Tennant, and then every other second, turning to the people who set up, like, going, I'm going to kill you. because I'm thinking I didn't bring anything to sign or uh. oh god it was from stuff, or, oh gee but we we closed for some pictures we chatted it was a great time um and the, a couple weeks later I'm uh, going to the Wizard World Philly and I the way you get me to go to a comic convention uh is you promise me what doctor who people I'll get to meet I got you that's my price <laughs> <laughs> um So I had already set that up knowing that he and Billy Piper were going to be there. Uh Uh-huh. I'd get a picture, I'd get an autograph and I'd maybe get a chance to say hi. And I'd get front row seats in the uh, panel. Yeah. Um, and I, and I brought like comics to give them and I'd given, uh, David Tennant, uh, silver surfer stuff. Okay. When he was up in Marvel. Um, and when I walked into the, uh, at one point, I walked into the celebrity green room, not the comic book green room, just to get a quick thing of water. And they said I could sneak in and just get one. Yeah. Um, and I turned, and there was Dave Tennant and Billy Piper having a coffee. And I froze. <laughs> and it it had only been like two weeks. So he looked up, and he still knew who I was or remember yeah. me. And he, went, yeah. he went, Dan. <laughs> it's like, ah! <laughs> You yeah. know, so I had comics to give to both of them, and he's a big Spider-Man fan. Okay. So I gave him a sneak peek uh, of Alex Ross's new design for uh, the next Spider-Man suit of uh, armor. Oh yeah, which is like you can currently play it in the PS4 game, the one with the light-up spider. It looks great. Oh. Yep, So he son, got s- my son's playing that. There you go. So he David Tennant got to see that months ahead of people because. There you go. He's my right. idol. Yep. Um, but w- when I was giving Bill Liper the Silver Surfer uh, trades, Tenant stops and he puts his hand on top of one and he goes, oh, you got you have to read this. You're going to like this. There's a lot of uh, rows in this character, Dawn. <laughs> it's like, awesome. <laughs> he read it all. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah, was cool. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Life is cool.
0: Yeah, I I know by seeing pictures of, uh, I know you went over to the UK and have done some conventions over there, and I know you've met a a, a vast majority of the doctors, and uh, it sounds like it's one one of your
1: perks. It's easier to tell you who I haven't met, (laughs) like who's on the bucket list.
0: So so you have a list in your pocket of this is the, you know, I
1: need to meet this one and this one and this one, so you can check them off as you go? There's only two living doctors I have not met yet. Uh, and that is uh, McCoy and McGann. Oh well, those are b- fairly easy ones. You can catch them on conventions here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, but you don't want to say it's easy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, every every living doctor, in, including um, the the recent new third first doctor. Oh, yep, David Bradley. Yeah, yeah who's also Walter Frey, and also yes. in uh, um, in. Uh, Oh, you know the uh, uh, Chibnall's show, uh, Broadchurch. Oh, Broadchurch. Yep. Yeah, he's like he's an oh, and he was also in all the Harry Potter movies. Yep. Yeah, so I got to meet. You know, I've met like everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's great. Um, awesome. Uh, they're and they're the nicest ambassadors for the show. Every, I haven't met the. Um, we I don't think you call them companions. I haven't met the Doctor, the Thirteenth Doctor's fam yet. Oh. So, I, but I got to meet Jodie Whitaker and Matt Strievens and Chibnall. Um, I got to interview them along with two other Marvel people. I got to interview them at New York Comic Con. Oh, that's and cool! I bet that was a treat. That was such a treat, and there is one point because we had these like live streaming people commenting. And one of the comments that floated near my head for a while was, "I think Dan's in love," because <laughs> <laughs> I just get really giddy around any Doctor Who people or Doctor Who stuff. Yeah, I'm um, just—it's yeah, my favorite show of all time.
0: Oh, you bet. Uh, same here. And you're talking about how the the actors are really good ambassadors for the show. Um, I used to—I started going to Doctor Who conventions back in about 1993. So I met, like, uh, John Pertwee and Peter Davison and Colin Baker and a lot of, uh, like, William Russell and Carol Ann Ford, a lot of the classic actors and actresses. And I couldn't agree with you more about how they're great ambassadors for the show because, to me, I was always impressed by the fact that the British actors, when they come over here to a convention and to meet the fans, they are so excited that you enjoy their work so much that you don't you look you don't look at them as, as we we look at them as you know stars and people that we've seen on our, our shows and, and stuff that we enjoy. But to them, they just look at it as I'm doing my job and I appreciate the fact that you you enjoy my work. Whereas it seems like American actors get the, the star quality to them and they feel like they're they're supposed to be
1: looked at that way. Uh, it's it's different from every it's different for everybody. Everyone's a different uh, you know, when you meet Americans, liberties everyone's mm-hmm. a it's it's a potluck. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, uh, but with the uh, it was something I felt growing up in the UK. Um, there's an experience you'll have if you're like a, if you're an American over there, where if you step on a British person's foot by accident, they beat you to the "I'm sorry." Oh, yeah. It's a freaky experience. It's kind of like walking up the stairs in the dark and you think there's an extra step. Uh-huh. You're kind of mentally left in this no man's land of, I was about to say, sorry, I stepped on your foot. What's going on? <laughs> and it's because you have to have the manners when you're over there. Yeah. it's It's bare minimum everyone over there is just so well with pleases and thank yous and whatnots uh-huh. um they're just so damn polite um but on top of that yeah they're they're they know they're part of a you yeah. know this this history this legacy um and they're they're all just such lovely people yeah and they're all very sweet um uh, yeah I, it's it's Doctor Who, man. Yeah, exactly. Well, you grew
0: up, like you said, you were a teenager growing up over in the UK and, and reading Doctor Who magazine. Um, how much did you enjoy reading the comic strip that was in there back in the day? You had been reading back in the the Steve Parkhouse, Dave Gibbons type era?
1: Yep. I read every stitch that Dave Gibbons has put into uh, Doctor Who. Every, every single Dave Gibbons uh, drawn, whether it was the fourth, the fifth. Gone. Uh, I, I was there. Yeah. Uh, that's how I knew Dave Gibbons first. You know, it, sure. I went to a I went to a show. Um. And if you're Dave Gibbons, you go to a show. Everyone gives you copies of Watchmen to sign.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, it's just one after another. Here's another Watchmen trade. Here's another Watchmen trade.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, maybe you get lucky. Maybe there's Secret Service. Maybe there's uh that Superman annual for the man who had everything. Yeah. But for the most part, you're getting Watchmen. And I just walked over there with that pay-ass IDW <laughs> absolute edition. Uh-huh. And while, while he's signing it, I, I left my booth. <laughs> like I, I want Dave Gibbons to sign my <laughs> Doctor Who collection. Uh-huh. Uh, while he's signing it, he looks at me and he goes, they don't have the rights to print this here in the UK. This is the American version. I'm like, yeah. Like, you brought this over from America. Like, yeah, it's like <laughs> a third of my luggage is <laughs> like, like oh, my God, it's big, big, heavy, it's heavy book. It's huge. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. like absolute, you know, thick. Uh, and it, I had a, okay, let me ask you a question because you're a Doctor Who comic book fan. Sure. My, my feeling about Doctor Who comics is that you should be restrained by what they would have the budget for on the TV. Because if you don't, it doesn't feel right. I, I,
0: I'm kind of on both sides of that one. Um, to, to, to one extent, yes, I agree that if you're writing like a, a, or doing a comic strip of a Fourth Doctor story, you should, you should be looking at the budget and, uh, that they would have at that time, depending on when your story is set, and, and kind of going along with that. But at the same time, if you read a lot of the stories, like the the Sixth Doctor comic strip that was going on in Doctor Who magazine, with some of those uh, big, grandiose, you know, universe-spanning stories with, you know, giant cosmic waterfalls and giant statues and stuff. There's no yeah. way they would have had a budget to do that. But at the same time, those stories, like Voyager, for example, are, is, are some of my favorites. So it's kind of, to me. It's kind of nice seeing every once in a while seeing the a doctor like the sixth doctor out of the element you're used to of being on TV and seeing him in as something of what if they had an unlimited budget or, you know, CGI effects of
1: present day back in 85, 86. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Oh. I, to me, the minute you do that, it takes, it takes me out of the story. You might as well draw him with a third eye. You know, okay. it's like, I want, it, it feels like, it's like, um, Okay, like, imagine the pirate planet. Yeah. The minute Tom Baker gets into that hovercraft and it takes off, mm-hmm. it's the worst looking effect in the world. It looks so cheesy. It is. It, it. That's what you should get in your comic. Where if you read a comic with like the Iron Legion and he's strapping on wings and flying, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't buy it. Okay. That would never be in a Tom Baker episode. So, yeah. so
0: does by conversely to that, then, if you were doing like a a third Doctor comic strip along along the lines of like Invasion of the Dinosaurs, if you were doing a story where the Doctor travels back to prehistoric times and encounters a Tyrannosaurus Rex, would you have the the artist draw a dinosaur, the likes of which we would have saw in Invasion of the
1: Dinosaurs? Yes, that would be in my script. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if Peter Davidson is going up against a terra I should see that giant zipper. <laughs> <laughs> Show me that zipper on the back of that rubbery alien. <laughs> Show I, I, it. I, that I, I can see that. See, that. And, and,
0: you, see I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the fence on that <laughs> because I, I definitely w- would enjoy a story like that where you see the zipper on on an illustration and go, yes, this is what classic Doctor Who is all about but at the same time I could also see it from the other way of you know what if my you know the sixth doctor who's one of my favorites is is in a story with a with no budget or you know amazing CGI effects and can go anywhere and any and and be on whatever planet or
1: universe you want I I get the I, I get the idea of unlimited budget and that being one of the strengths of the comic. Like, for example, does it not feel like a Doctor Who comic, a story, because you don't hear that iconic theme at the beginning? And you can't replicate that in a comic. Yeah, that is true. Um, so I, I, I the, the idea of, like, oh, well, we should go towards the strengths. Well, I think you should go towards the strengths up to a point. Yeah? Like, if if you think of the old Star Trek comics where you'd have aliens with super long necks, like the original series, Star Trek. Uh Part of me would go like, you'd never see that in Star Trek. (laughs) Or like if they did next-gen comics, you know, like half the time you met an alien in Star Trek next-gen, they just had a funny appliance on their nose ridge. Yep. And something maybe on their chin. Uh Uh-huh. Well, then that's the rule, man. When you design the new alien race in the Star Trek next-gen comic. You should stick to those makeup limitations. You know, you're another new alien with a weird thing on their nose. Sure. Yeah.
0: No, that that totally makes sense, and I can definitely see your point on that. Um, Yeah. Of the the classic doctor Who stories that you read back in the in your teenage years, do you have any that particularly stand out to you, whether they're just really memorable for you or they were any of the ones that you read then kind of inspiring to you to
1: become a comic book writer? Oh man. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be cruel. None of them inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, no, I mean I enjoyed them. One of the things I liked was there was, Something I, I'm a big fan of the so that's where that comes from uh, story. Like oh, oh okay, I liked that there was um, oh who's that recurring character that you would meet in the comics? The guy he had like a little beret. He lived in England.
0: Oh um um Max uh, Stockbridge no not Stockbridge Max. No, uh, it's from-
1: He's from the Stockbridge Horror Story. Yeah,
0: it's uh, Max. His first name is Max. I
1: can't remember his last name. Yeah. Um, I I think in the first one of those, um, the first time you meet him, it's because the doctor is going to a sweet shop to reload up on Jelly Babies. That's his favorite place in the universe. That one specific sweet shop is where he gets his Jelly Babies. Because they don't make Jelly Babies on Gallifrey. He has to pick them up somewhere. And I, I like that they set that up. Like, what a great little bit of continuity.
0: Yeah, exactly. In fact, I was uh, one of the stories that I'm reviewing in this episode that you're going to be on is uh, introduced uh, uh, aliens alien uh, science fiction writer. And he's uh, somebody who, after he appeared in this one particular story, he shows up again further down the road with a different doctor. And that was one of the things I enjoy about the Doctor Who comic strips is that they every once in a while will, will have a character like Max that, that reoccurs or, um, you know, an alien here or there. Even in the, the current comic strip that's going on in Doctor Who magazine, they have a car- an alien who is the, the relative of somebody else who was, you know, oh.
1: back in the day. Do you, do you remember? Um, I think it's in Time Heist. The uh, the during the uh, Capaldi run, where they're going through like criminal records, mm-hmm. and for a moment they flash on the screen like Compgart and it's Adlen, uh Yep, it's Aflan the Data Yep, yeah, Ballet Killer.
0: Yeah, yeah I, like, I know. I know how giddy I was when I saw that. Just for that split second, just split to see. Yes, split. he's canon. He's canon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was like the best. Uh huh. So yeah, no, it's it's fun when this stuff gets folded in. It's fun when this when you know it has its own continuity. It's also frustrating because of Doctor Who continuity and canon keeps going out the window. Yeah, you know, like just try to track the actual painting of the Mona Lisa. Doctor mm-hmm. Who continuity, <laughs> it'll it'll break your brain. It doesn't work. No. You know, it, the thing that Rory smashed over um, the Handbots in The uh, Girl Who Waited. Was that one of the fakes from City of Death? I don't know. Yep, yep, exactly. (laughs) You know, and then Mona Lisa is trapped in the painting in Sarah Jane Adventures. Uh Uh-huh. What? (laughs) Did you just kill her, Rory, when you (laughs) smashed it over that handbot? Did you just take a life? Uh Uh-huh. How does that work? (laughs) I don't know. So, yeah, I don't think you can... Be fair. Uh, I don't think you can treat even Doctor Who TV canon is canon. Time apparently can be rewritten. Um, like, d- did it bother you? Like during Shakespeare Code, when this is the first time the Doctor is meeting Shakespeare. When it, you know, in the Tom Baker years, he references meeting Shakespeare every like fifth episode.
0: Now, yeah. to 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 me, no. I, I take everything with a grain of salt, and then, you know, there. With the show being around for so long as it has been, and uh, I was a big, I, you know, I've read the a lot of the comics, the majority of the comic strips. I read a lot of the novels and listened to the Big Finish audios. So, trying to come up with how everything makes sense on a, on a linear sort of timeline just doesn't work. So I just kind of take it as is, and if they throw something in that messes with something else, I just kind of go, "Oh well, that's the way it is."
1: That's the right attitude. <laughs> No, that's that's the best attitude of all. Yeah, I As long as I enjoy it, that's the important part. Exactly, and you'll you'll go crazy trying to make it all work. <laughs> um, you know, and then you'll run into problems like um, uh, human nature, which is start Human nature was originally a novel with the yep. with the seventh Doctor, right? Yep, yep, that's correct. And then it turns into an actual episode with the tenth, <laughs> like. Yeah. What?
0: Yep, exactly. It's like, how are you going to justify those same two stories being in the
1: same continuity? You can't. You just, you know, is Sally Sparrow a little girl that, uh, that at nine helped? I don't know. <laughs>
0: but
1: I've seen art for it. Uh-huh. I've read the short story. Yeah. You know. Um, did, did you re- ever read the story Continuity Errors? Uh, I believe so. It's the one that introduces the library. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the plot, the concept of it, is almost the same plot as uh, *Christmas Carol*. Yeah, where it's the doc, the doctor needs a, a um, like a grumpy person to do something for them. Uh-huh. So the doctor keeps going back in time and changing that person's personal history yep. until the point where they're nice, and then they'll do them a favor in the present. Yep, and you're like wow. <laughs> so yeah, I used to, I used to write the uh, Justice League Adventures comic book, and okay. at one point um, there was like a window I could have pitched up for the, the com uh, the cartoon, and I, I kind of froze and I didn't know what to pitch. I'm like I didn't know you could do that. I would have cannibalized my old story I had already written. <laughs> like here's this one, uh huh, because they. It's taken me a while as a creator to to um, get to that point because I used to put like a barrier down and go no, but then I see enough people that I admire um, where I go. I love this person's writing. I like watching them, like Paul Cornell, you know, yeah, reinventing that story, sure, for uh, for ten or watching uh Stephen moffat reinterpret and take some of those ideas and make them physical episodes yeah because you you wound up with some of the best doctor who episodes of all time
0: yeah most definitely now um talking about continuity and and trying to fit things in or not fit things in with you being writing amazing spider-man for as long as you did and now that you're on fantastic four and iron man um do you have how difficult is you to follow their continuity and try to do things in stories that don't touch on other things or don't influence other things or fit into certain boundaries?
1: It's tricky. Um, if you take the characters to new direction um, and start revolting, yeah. But if you keep them in the same status quo, fans get bored. So it's, um, it's a weird mix of you know, color inside the lines, color outside the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I do it, the more I don't care if they get mad. <laughs> so, well, I, I think you've kind of you've you've uh, you survived uh,
0: Superior Spider-Man and you know killing Peter Parker and having Otto Octavius take over in the role. And I I know there was plenty of fan revolt on that one. Uh, okay. If you, if you made it through that, I think you can make it through pretty much anything.
1: Well, for all the fan revolt we had for that, we also had the greatest increase of new readers. Oh yeah, Thanks. most definitely. So many people showed up to go. What are they doing? Yep. that it more than made up for anyone who said they were leaving. That our our actual for all the revolt, our our sales for Spidey uh, for Superior Spidey, our regular readership jumped up twenty thousand. You oh, know, sure. so, so for everyone for all the people going, oh, we're mad. It was people were into it. Yeah, um, I did not learn the lesson well. Uh, <laughs> no, because. When we did Worldwide, which was the arc where Peter Parker finally hits it big and he's a CEO of a worldwide company, uh-huh. we knew we were going to go back to ground zero. We knew we were going to, by the end of it, take everything away from Peter and leave him in a worse spot than ever. Yeah. Um, but fans were so nervous about, what are you doing? You're just turning into Iron Man, or why, why are you doing this? And Peter should be poor, or Peter should be a photographer, working for the Daily Bugle, or, I don't like this. I I would start hedging the stories. I would start having Peter talk or explain about how he's still Peter Parker. yeah, Even though he's in this weird situation, and I shouldn't have done that at all. I should have leaned into it super hard. <laughs> I should have, like, just gone flying cars and suits of armor and, you know, fighting, you know, the equivalent of Spectre and Bond villains every week, saving the world. I should have just gone super crazy with it and had fun with it. The way I did was superior. Um, Instead of trying to be conservative and trying to make everyone, like – oh, okay, don't worry, we're crossing T's and dotting I's, everything's going to be okay. No, I should have just been more relentless and, and had fun with it. Um, that's, that's part of the... With a character like Spider-Man, he's been around for over 50 years. There are so many thousands and thousands of Spider-Man stories. Part of it is finding that what haven't they done?
0: Yeah, which I'm sure is a really tough challenge.
1: Yeah and it, yeah, the beauty of the of the doctor is the doctor regenerates you get a whole new persona but yeah. with the same ethos the same the same world the same universe the same continuity but you get the fun of oh my god look at this 11th doctor with his bizarre hair and his flailing limbs and his sense of whimsy mm-hmm you know, he's so completely different from the 10th Doctor, from the 9th Doctor, from the 8th Doctor. But they're all the same being. Yeah. You know, I love watching Jodie Whittaker uh, doing her turn as the Doctor. It's the same person. You know, it's the same person traveling through time and space, looking to put things right. Um you you immediately love this character it's the doctor you know yeah i mean how, okay let me like in between peter Davison and i actually think it's the uh it's the visitation in the terleptals right where they destroy the sonic screwdriver yep yeah where you don't get the sonic again until nine right um uh, the yeah, doctor have well, the, the,
0: the eighth, the eighth has they show it in the the TV movie, but he never uses it for anything.
1: What? Okay. I haven't seen the movie in a while. Um, so yeah, so it's like he really doesn't use it, like in canon. Yeah. The the, the ninth Doctor, um, did it not feel like the Doctor without the, the the sonic screwdriver? When did he get the sonic screwdriver? Uh, Does he not have it until the third Doctor?
0: They, he had it, it looked kind of like a little metal pencil. It's in one of the Patrick Troughton stories. I think it was Fury from the Deep is when they first introduced it. Uh. But all, all it, it literally was a sonic screwdriver. I remember, I think they have a clip of just a 10-second a clip of a scene where he uses this little pen device to take a screw out of the, the uh, handle of a pistol. To how, show how, that,
1: how far we've come. Yeah, exactly. It can now reattach barbed wire. It can light candles from a distance. <laughs> Is there anything it can't do?
0: It's, it's The, the science device, uh, uh, science screwdriver has come a long way
1: since since back then. Uh, the, the, the thing I do not like that they do with it, I don't like it when they use it like a Star Trek uh, um, try uh, Okay. I don't like where you he or she whizzes it around, looks at it, and he goes, "Oh, that's twenty percent iron." Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, no. <laughs> yeah,
0: to to me this the this the this season of Doctor with with Jody that was one of the problems I had. It seems like the only thing she uses the science screwdriver for is to scan something and glance at it and and say, "Oh, yeah, this is whatever it, the the." You know, chemical makeup of it is, or here's how it's powered, or whatever. It's 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 an information gathering tool that, more than it is a a an instrument to do something.
1: Yeah, but but conversely, it's like I'd much rather have it be that than the solution to every problem. Yeah, very true. You, I agree. You know, as opposed to I I'd much rather have it do the passive thing of the scanning the stuff than the. The moment where I kind of went, no, reattach barbed wire, no. (laughs) And I don't don't like it as the bluff gun. You know, where the doctor will stand and look tough and then aim it at the bad guy and hold it up. And then the people are like, oh, my God, you're the doctor. And then they immediately uh, give up. They run away. You know, like, he's holding a blinky light that can open doors, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's not a bluff gun. And and it's like he knows it. You're an old timer like me. You know, for us, the doctor was somebody that thug number three would walk up to and punch in the head and he would go down. Yep. You know, and nowadays he feels he or she feels like a god. Yeah. You know, I kind of like the, you know, more living by your wits doctor.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's why I still, you know, as much as I enjoy watching Jodie Whittaker on TV, I've really enjoyed going back and watching some of my classic Doctor Who DVDs just to, to remind myself where all this began or where I started getting into Doctor Who and, you know, watching Patrick Troughton kind of bumbling his way through things and knowing uh, that you you know that he knows what's going on, but at the same time, he's kind of, it, it feels like he's
1: flying by the seat of his pants. Oh God! Yeah, you 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 take that character and you put them in a tomb of the Cybermen. You're frightened for them. Yep. You know the stakes are high. The the thing I liked about the Capaldi era was there's a certain kind of doctor that that we that most Americans have seen, and that's like you know the new Who. Mm-hmm. That's you know 9, ten and eleven. Yeah, which were all friendlier, cuddlier, you know. Um, nine would pretend to be tough, you know. But there were all these characters that that were silly and fun and very, you know, friendly. Uh-huh. And it was fun to see a grumpy doctor again. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think American audiences were ready for it. You know, I, they were so used to... 9 10 11 I think 12 kind of shocked them.
0: Yeah. I I think so in between the the grumpiness and the the fact that he was an older uh doctor th- where all the people that have watched New Who a lot of them have grown up you know watching New Who. Um I have the, a uh, my, the,
1: doctor, my, the doctor's your boyfriend.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, my my uh wife's oldest daughter uh uh Christopher Eccleston was her first doctor, and her and I would sit and watch Doctor Who every week together. And when we got to uh, Capaldi, she wasn't a fan of his be- because she's used to the doctor being a younger person, way that she can have a crush on.
1: <laughs> Who wouldn't have a crush on Peter Capaldi? <laughs> Those eyebrows. <laughs>
0: Well, just, just the eyebrows and the the hair alone. By the time you get to the, his, his uh, final season,
1: oh, the giant mops of hair! How I envy and, him. it
0: that had a life of its own. It was fantastic. Yep, I agree. You know, it was it, incredible.
1: There there is something I have loved about every single era of every Doctor. There's not a single Doctor I do not love. Yep. Um, and I'm I'm a big fan of uh of Jodie Whittaker's enthusiasm, like her verve. Mm -hmm. And I like the dynamic of the, it doesn't feel like the crowded TARDIS of the Peter Davidson era. It feels more like the, uh, the original with, um, with Susan and, uh, Ian and Barbara, Uh you know, it's, it's a group and that's a fun dynamic we haven't seen in a long time.
0: Sure.
1: You know, it's like when you had the Peter Davidson era, it's like, there was always somebody getting short shrift. Whether it was Adric or Tegan or Nyssa, where you'd almost want you'd almost want to like one of them to take a vacation for a bit. Yeah. So other people I, could get more real estate to play with. Yeah.
0: I would I would agree with that. Although I do think this first season out, I think Yaz kinda got short shifted as far as stuff. You know, she we had the, the one story with her meeting her, her grandma in the partition of India. But outside Mm. of that, it seemed like they did a a much better job of developing, uh, Ryan.
1: Graham. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I did like, they did a lot of stuff with Yaz where she and the doctor were gal pals. Whether they were on the ship together in Ghost Monument working together or in the last episode working together against the Ux, um, or, or even they'd have to pair up. She would often go to Yaz uh, as the one she wanted to hang with. Uh, yeah. so there, there, was, there was a fun chemistry there. The thing that drove be crazy about Yaz was everyone kept forgetting she was a police officer. Yeah, I totally agree on that. That she should have been doing stuff that was like, not taking charge, but going through procedures, or yeah. being able to de-escalate people when they were getting into rows. Um, like, acting more like a cop. Yeah. There was a, a point when they were back in Sheffield in the um, the Arachnids in the UK episode,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a character points a gun at her, and at no point did you go, "I'm a cop." Yeah, like you're in trouble, mate. I'm a cop. that um, was frustrating. I, I wanted to like, keep giving the note. She's a cop. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I liked her. I, I liked her. Uh, Uh to me the standout companion was uh Graham. I
0: totally agree. I I love Graham. Graham I think was the the best companion of the three.
1: But here's here's I think our unfair reason why we're saying that. It's because we're old. We're old. It's the old (laughs) an old guy gets to be the companion for once. I, I you knew exactly where I was going. Yep, we are yep,
0: exactly because uh, I've I've thought that since I first saw him and I started liking him I was like is it the fact that I'm you know going to be forty nine years old this year the reason yeah. why I can I can relate to him so well
1: <laughs> I, everything that would come out of his mouth that was like I'm tired and old <laughs> made me love him <laughs> like the fact that he starts carrying sandwiches so he can keep his blood sugar up <laughs> yep or he wants to take a nap uh-huh. or. He gets stuck being like the guy with the bucket and kerblam. I was like, I love him. He's yeah. me. It's the old, the old geezer who gets to, gets to travel with the doctor. Because the companions for forever have been the young, the young companion. Can you think of yeah. anybody who is outside of uh, when they had uh, Will for the that two parter? Yeah, lieutenant. Yeah. Outs, outside a will that there's never well, there's never been like a, an old codger, and I was like, oh man, I love this dynamic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. And, you know, when I think about it, it's like
0: for all for all the 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 uh, females and like my daughter who was excited that the doctor was going to finally be a woman for all those out there that were excited that that was taking place I guess for people like you and me the 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 middle-aged uh, you know males to finally go hey look there's a companion that we can relate to we should be uh, you know cheering on that front as well exactly
1: <laughs> you know like yay, old people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I liked his motivation the most yeah, the, he's the grieving widower, and this is something to do to get his mind off it. Yep, yep, exactly. Something to take his mind off of things. That was that was lovely. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of gold uh, in this season. Um, what, what was your favorite episode?
0: Um, you know, I would almost say that the the New Year special was my favorite. I think everything. Really? I, I think so. I think everything really uh, led up to that. I, I like the fact that they. Did the resolution with Ryan and his dad? Although to me it felt a little kind of rushed, mm-hmm. but at this, but at the same time, um, I really liked resolution. Um, I really liked Rosa. I thought that was a good. To I me, thought... the
1: historical type ones were the standouts. Yeah, I think Rosa was the best. Ro- Rosa was the one that blew me away, uh, because it was the one I was the most trepidatious about. Mm-hmm. That when you you say that premise, I go, what are you doing? Yeah, are you <laughs> doing Doctor Who? Oh, I was so nervous about that. And then when I heard when Martin Luther King was in it, I was like, oh, you are you are pushing my buttons. Yep. You know, you better do this right. <laughs> like the last thing you want to see is that kind of material handled slapdash. Yeah. And boy, they knocked it out of the park. Yep, I that, totally agree they did. That sequence on the bus. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, it was gut-wrenching. It's everything I love about time travel stories. Yep. You know, and and the toll they take on you. Because if we don't care about the characters, if we don't care about the, the, as much as we care about the cosmic stakes and the stakes of time and history, we care about these people and how much this was destroying Graham and how much it was destroying the Doctor. And that moment where Ryan gets to put, like, his hand against the glass, you know, as Rose is going by. Uh Uh-huh. Every single beat. That was great. That yeah. and, uh, but also the moments of joy, the, uh, the moment where Graham is, is serving coffee. And he's like, I'll be right there. Martin Luther King. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> you can, you can just see like, oh man. Yeah. I want to go in the past. Yeah. I want to meet these famous people through time. I want to meet my heroes. Yeah. You know, that was, yeah, that episode, and I like Kerblam, and I liked It Takes You Away. I thought it was really good. The Frog, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> the, no, the Frog, that's the stuff I live for in Doctor Who. No show besides Doctor Who would do that. <laughs> Very true. And that that's why you come back. Like, yeah. what are you going to show me next?
0: Yeah. You know?
1: You know, even even in seasons where things weren't working, you know, you got Brian Blessed running around as a warrior.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> just you can't like go wrong there. You can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, OK, bring it. Even yep. an episode where things aren't clicking. Well, there's Alan Covings. <laughs> as, yeah. <laughs> as the king. And you're like, what? This is uh-huh. great. Yep. Yeah, so I, I like you know I almost like uh, the show better when it starts tripping because you know no show is going to give you uh, is going to give you a hundred percent gold all the way through. It can't. Yeah. They're producing these shows at incredible speed. They're they're doing it like late night shoot. They they're they're putting all this together on a shoestring, and you know you're going to have episodes that are brilliant. You're going to have episodes that you know, we will talk about for years and watch and rewatch like Rosa. Um, And at least, you know, in episodes where things clunk a bit, if you're going to, if you're going to fail, fail because you're reaching for the stars, True. you You know, know. fail, you know, if you're going to, if it's going to hit a bad beat, at least give me some gems along the way. Give me something where like, okay, that was great. Yeah. Um, and, if, and if you get some of those gems in one of your masterpieces, where Doctor Who is Doctor is talking to a cosmic fire, God bless, that's TV, man. That's just great. Most Definitely, God, I love frog. <laughs> well, well, Dan,
0: I, I, I think we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> you're you're working hard on Fantastic Four and Iron Man. Um, do you have any other projects or, or things lined up? I'm sure those two are
1: just keeping you busy. Well, with Fantastic Four uh, it's, it's very much a dream book um, it's the, FF was the first comic I ever read as a kid my cousin's comics uh, if I could have moved on to any comic in the Marvel universe after Spider-Man it was always going to be FF mm-hmm. and Iron Man ever since Robert Downey Jr. slapped on that suit it's like a worldwide phenomenon everyone knows who Tony Stark is now yeah um and there's something fun especially in a day and age where we're seeing shows like black mirror or rick and morty on two different sides of the spectrum mm-hmm. where technology is such a source for either really creepy twilight Zony stories or really over the top insane comedic things um and i like playing in that world with tony stark um yeah, it's like you look at my heroes, Tony Stark and Reed Richards. I, I wonder who they remind me of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wo- I wonder. I wonder. Hmm. I wonder. So it's all it's all good, and maybe yeah. we'll have some secret stuff that I'm not at liberty to talk about right now uh, coming your way. In the, oh, that's uh, awesome. To distant 2019 ish. Like, like I was going to say, 2019
0: has just started, so I'm sure we'll be seeing lots more stuff from you down the road.
1: Oh, you're going to freak out. <laughs> it's going to be great.
0: <laughs> that, oh, that, that's a teaser running out of itself. I'm happy with that. So, yeah. uh, Dan, Dan Slot, I've, like I've told you um, my. I I spent 15 years running a comic book store and I read your whole run of of Spider-Man stuff. And my son who is 12, he uh, grew up reading your Spider-Man comics. I would pass them on to him after I got done reading them. So Mm -hmm. he, you are the Spider-Man writer for him. And uh, I've enjoyed your work ever since the Ren and Stimpy days.
1: Oh, Ren and Stimpy. Well, luckily he's got, he's got uh, Nick Spencer and Tom Taylor and a whole bunch of new Spidey writers on the way who are doing great work uh yep they, the, they are indeed spidey keeps swinging it's gonna be awesome uh video games like the ps4 game and the uh the the all-new oh, just award-winning spider-man into the spider-verse movie best yep. spider movie ever it's a great time to be a spider-man fan
0: oh most definitely it's a, it's a good time to be a fan of your writing as well sir and uh uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to to chat with me today and to talk about Doctor Who comics and just Doctor Who in general. And uh, thank you very much.
1: Oh, thanks, Jeremy. It was fun.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to that classic interview with Dan Slott. Dan is a great guy, and way, uh, you know, back in 2018 when I first chatted with him, uh, I had met him once before at a, at a comic book convention back in Chicago um, quite some time ago, um, but. He was great to talk to then. Uh, He was great to talk to back in 2019 when this interview took place. And I hope those of you who are at Gallifrey One, uh, who are comic fans, had a chance to meet Dan and uh, chat with him. He's just full of energy. He's he's wonderful. He's fun, funny, um, just a a great guy and very knowledgeable on Doctor Who. And I'm anxiously awaiting his one-shot, his uh, special that's coming out this uh, summer or early fall, and I can't wait for it. I think Dan Slott. I've read stories of his for you know over a decade now, from Amazing Spider-Man to Iron Man to Fantastic Four, um, lots of Marvel stuff that he has done, and he never disappoints. And with his knowledge and love of Doctor Who, I know that his his story that he's telling with the Tenth Doctor and Martha is going to be a, a banger of an of an issue, and I can't wait. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Dan Slott. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Doctor Who, Panel The Panel. If I can ask one favor of you this time around, please do me a favor and go on iTunes and leave me a positive or favorable review. I just happened to check today and I only have like five reviews on iTunes, which isn't all that much considering this podcast has been around for uh, nine years now or somewhere in that vicinity. And that's uh, less than one a year for a review. So if everybody, or at least some of you, could uh, go to iTunes and leave me a positive review, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, if I see your review and can get a hold of you, I'll send you a Doctor Who panel-to-panel button to put on your jacket or carry bag or whatever. So, with all that out of the way, thank you for downloading this episode. And until next time, this is Jeremy Bument saying... Bye. Doctor Who Panel the Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel the Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at Doctor Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who panel to panel. Thank you.